Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brother Cousins podcast. This is our umpteenth installment of the 2023 area-wide meeting coverage. We're going to put an end cap on it today as far as our special guests go. Today, we have our brother in Christ, uh, Chase Palmer, as our guest. We'll introduce him here in just a moment. But um, he was uh, the speaker for the Sunday morning assembly and he had um, a, a topic that was called Unconformed and Unashamed. And he covered a wide variety of topics that are pertinent to the family, the kingdom, and our culture. And so we're going to ask him some questions about those things today. Uh, really good talk, Chase. And looking forward to getting to pick your brain a little bit. Um, one thing it, I realized recent, uh, recently that we haven't done is said a big thank you. Thank you if you're listening to our show for your prayers, for your support that you give us, for your encouragement. It just means a lot that you choose to spend part of your day with us, and we hope that the content is a blessing to you. And if it does bless you, we would just ask a favor. If you could leave us a review on the platform that you listen to podcasts on, or if you could give us a like, or if you could give us a share on your social or if there is just a particular someone who could benefit from an episode that you hear, shoot them a text with a link to the episode and let them know about the good content that you hear on the Brother Cousins podcast. But we thank you so much for what you do for our show. You're the reason why we do it. Today's episode 97. And Chase, thank you for being on the show. For uh, our guests who don't know you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your work in the kingdom, your role and Feel free to plug uh, any cause that's important to you, good sir. Hey, well, thank you guys for having me again, and I uh, look forward to our conversation. I appreciate the content you guys are putting out there in the kingdom and uh, sharing that with our brethren and, and anybody that can listen and gain some insights. And, and I love the platform and, and y'all's approach to just talking about the Word of God, talking about topics that are relevant to our faith and uh, relevant to our world. And um, I thought we were going to talk about the Roman Empire. So I was prepared for that, um, for our discussions. Maybe we'll get into that at some point. Um, I know that's been a popular topic the last few weeks, but. Um, uh, Only because we Chase live Palmer. in the Roman Empire, except with Wi-Fi. So and With Wi-Fi. I, I did like that line. I saw that somewhere. I don't remember if that might have been a post Christopher made, but um, I enjoyed good. that. It's still a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm uh, Chase Palmer. I'm a, been an evangelist with the Churches of Christ for, um, I guess, 19 years now. Uh, married to my wife, Elizabeth, in January will be our 20th anniversary. Uh, we have four children, Josiah, Ezra, Malachi, and Joy. Uh, we live in South Texas. And I used to think uh, San Antonio was South Texas, but we are four and a half hours south of San Antonio. Um, so we are in truly South Texas um, in the Harlingen area. I currently serve as an, an elder in the North 7th Street Church of Christ and also am the um, CEO of Sunny Glen Children's Home. And that is a 501c3 nonprofit um, uh, started in 1936 by members of the Church of Christ to care for orphan children. And our work today is focusing on children who've been abused and neglected in their homes uh, that we take those children and we provide everything that they need, a holistic program, their physical, uh, emotional, and most importantly, their spiritual needs, and try to build uh, their confidence and build their trust 
that they understand that they have people in their life that love them. And most importantly, they have a creator in heaven who made them, who knows them intimately and who cares for them uh, despite the circumstances of their life. And uh, we work on family reunification uh, when that's possible and uh, working with families to teach them the tools and uh, give them the resources available that we can put those children back in a home with a mom and dad who are dedicated to the Lord, because we know that is the best uh, situation for a child to grow up mm-hmm. in. Um, very excited about the the programs that we're operating. I, I could go on and on about that, uh, but I will tell you this, over the last 18 months, we have provided care and services for over 6,000 children um, in our care as we have grown and expanded the services that we've been able to provide um, here in the Rio Grande Valley and, and throughout the state of Texas. So um, you can find more information about Sunny Glen, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, also, our website, we're actually revamping that, going to be relaunching that in the next couple of weeks, and that is www.sunnyglen.org um, to find more information about that ministry and, and how you can be a part uh, of that work and what we're doing down here in the Rio Grande Valley. Thank you, Chase. We appreciate your work in um, helping the most vulnerable people in our society, and I, I appreciate so much. Uh, your willingness to help people who are so uh, vulnerable and valuable to God. Uh, so I'll put that link in the show notes. Again, that's www.sunnyglen.org. Well, Chase, um, you uh, you had a good talk Sunday morning. And again, the, the title that I wrote down, and this may not be correct, but I had unconformed and unashamed. Is that right? So th- that was really, those are really my words. Um, I could read you the description of what I was given to talk about, um, but specifically the title was Our Response to a Culture with No Taboos. And then there's like four sentences and a paragraph of everything that I was kind of tasked with covering. Uh, but when I looked at all the re- the request and, and also heard the other speeches, um, I wanted to leave everyone with this thought of, we don't have to be ashamed of what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have to bend and conform to what this world wants us to be. We need to be who Christ calls us to be, not be afraid, not be scared of this world, but be ready to engage it and engage it in a positive way and engage it in a in a way similar to the way Christ did, um, because this world hated him. And if it hated him, he promised us it would hate us if we're following him. And ultimately, uh, we don't need to be ashamed and we can stand for the truth without being abrasive and and hateful in that, uh, but engage it in love and, and consideration for people's souls, because that's really what we're trying to do. And we'll never reach a soul if we can't even have a conversation. Well, you talked about the conversation that we could take, Chase, and there were four, well, I guess, items that uh, are options that we can take to my best of my knowledge, you said that we could isolate, we could appease, we could antagonize, or we could prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of us enjoy doing all four of those at times. So, <laughs> um, and you really specifically drill down on uh, the way that we use our social media. That's that's been a recurring theme uh, throughout this series, and because it was a recurring theme that Saturday. Um, but you also talked about the agenda that we that we face and that the pressure, right? If we are starting out with the premise that we need to be unconformed, 
there's the the latent assumption there that there is pressure to conform. And what are what are some of the ways that you see Christians uh, be coming under the pressure of our society to conform? And maybe that's a principle. Maybe it's an actual mechanic of how that works. I mean, you're in the child services industry, I guess. I, I even hate to call it that. I just don't know the right word. Um, but there's probably pressure on your organization uh, to change your uh, approach to be more inclusive. So talk to me a little bit about the pressure to conform. Yeah, it, it really goes to what that whole weekend program was about. I think Timothy kicked it off, you know, Saturday morning of, is there any objective truth? And so if there's not objective truth, then everyone's views, everyone's opinions are equally valid. And there's really no moral stance that anyone can take to hold anyone else accountable to. And, and we end up just kind of being our own gods. And to me, that is the ultimate agenda, that we worship the creature more than the creator. And who are you to tell me what I'm doing is wrong in any way? And, and I think that's why I think our approach has to be, hey, this isn't me telling you, but it's it's God. And, and God is the standard for morality. There is objective truth, which Timothy did an amazing job kind of setting that foundation and establishing even that idea of, of even making the statement, there is no absolute truth. Well, is that absolutely true? Uh, you know, it's just a fallacy. And, and what we end up with is if there's no objective truth, then there's a group that does get to make the rules and it's not anything to do with morality. It's all about power. And those with power then get to determine what's right and wrong. And it doesn't take long to look at our country and look at the moral upheaval that we've experienced over the last, and I'm not saying 10 years, I'm saying 50 plus years yeah. uh, from this, where the seeds of this idea of the sexual revolution and the devaluing of um, anything that was uh termed a traditional value was attacked to what we see the results of that 50 years later, seven, 60 years later, that everything is just equally as valid, but no one really believes that because people that have authority and power then get to dictate what is right and wrong. And mm -hmm. I just want people to be intellectually honest. <laughs> and we all have our standard of morality because we believe those things are right. The Christian worldview is the only one that can put those principles upon a creator that we give and we submit to as the ultimate authority. And, and therefore, to glorify him, to reverence and respect him, we respond uh, not to worldly movements and agendas that are being portrayed on us, but to his word and what his desires are. So that's kind of the big picture, I think when we think about these agendas and the attack, because it's really an attack on truth. Right. We, we get so caught up on the little issues that we miss the big picture of what the problem really is. Cause if we can turn the hearts of men back to the truth of the word of God, all these little issues and the things that divide us, a lot of those things will go away because we'll have a commonality in Christ. And that really, I think needs to be our plea as his kingdom is I'm not going to win the debate on abortion if I don't change the heart of someone, you know, by the word of God. I, you know, I can convince them to be in agreement with me, but have I won a soul for Christ? And that has to be 
our our fundamental focus. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. So has has Sunny Glenn come under any uh, pressure to change what you are, what your message are, or, or messages, or have you actually gotten a lot of, um, I guess, freedom to work in in alignment with your values? So there are aspects of our program that um, people would look at and say, well, you know, you take grant funds uh, that may be tied to government money, um, tax dollars, you may take state funds, and and therefore you're limited. But what we have seen is even within those um, confines, mm-hmm. they want the children to have the opportunity to have religion. Um, and, they, and they do believe children need the right to exercise their religion. So where we have found our greatest success is we show the children that we serve what Christianity really looks like. And, and it's not thumping a Bible and just quoting scripture to them. I, that is important to teach them the word of God, but it's more important that they see love they see mercy, they see forgiveness, they see this spirit of tolerance, mm-hmm. um, but also understand that we're trying to build trust. And, and once we build trust with that child, they are so receptive to understanding what it is that helps us be the people that we are. And, you know, I'm not an executive director that sits in an office all day long. I'm out with the kids. I know our kids by name. They worship with us on Sunday mornings at North 7th Street. Um, You know, we visit the homes. We do Bible studies with these kids. And when you put that in front of them, they're drawn to it. So we don't have to force it on them. And, you know, and that's some of the things you can't force your, no, we can't, but we can offer it and we can make it appealing. And in doing that, they get it. And then they start to see, wow, (laughs) this is changing the way I feel about myself. Uh, Because all of a sudden I'm not just something that has been discarded by someone who should have cared for me. Now I'm actually in a place where God wants me to be here. And maybe God opened this opportunity for me to get love and guidance and teaching and opportunity to develop relationships that are going to change my trajectory for the rest of my life. And the word of God does the work. And and when people try to stop it, you can't stop it. You know, yeah, we can't use grant funds to buy Bibles. Well, I don't need grant funds to buy Bibles, our congregation will buy all the Bibles we need, <laughs> um, but we will use those other funds to take care of the physical necessities, which then allow us to even to invest more in the spiritual side of what people donate to. So, you know, it's a very easy judgment to say, well, you take government funds, so you can't do any religious work. That's not true. Um, and and our, our funding um, sources know that, hey, we're a faith-based organization, um, and that's at the heart of what we do. And I think they see the results of the quality of the programs we run and that it's worth the investment because they see the life of the child change. It's kind of hard to argue with what's working. Yeah. And and I think that's what I said early on in that, my speech on that Sunday morning, there was a quote um, when I talked about the agenda that it's easier to shape the minds of children than change the minds of men. So you think about the agenda there's a, our children have targets on them. 
And, and and there's no we shouldn't be you know shocked that that's the case. Satan knows the playbook, and if he can get in a child early on and expose them to things and normalize behaviors that are abhorrent or are abhorrent to God, then that child is more likely to accept those and then be more tolerant and accepting of those behaviors as they get older than it is to change somebody's mind who's a grown man who understands where they stand and who they are in this world. Uh, But instead of just being upset at that, why aren't we doing the same thing? We should be the ones shaping the, the minds of children. We should be the ones, and and we're really big working with parents. Elizabeth and I are blessed to work with young couples and in, in marriage, premarital counseling, marriage counseling, parenting, and and not that we're perfect, and that's not what I mean. But we're able to work with them and and show them you as parents have to be the primary influence on the lives of your children. I don't care if they're public schooled or homeschooled. You as mom and dad need to be the greatest influence in that child's life. And, and if we'll do that and we will shape their minds and train them at a young age, those foundations are there. You know, Chase, I was having a similar conversation with somebody um, earlier this past week. Um, we were talking about views of sexual relations and, you know, the ages that you are, that you need to introduce these concepts to your kids. And, you know, I'll, I'll just be very frank. I preached a lot about sexual immorality on that day and it opened up some conversations. And I just said, look, you know, if I'm going to say some things from the pulpit that we don't generally say from the pulpit, I said, and if your kids ask you questions on the way home, great, because it's better for them to ask you right now you know, as a six-year-old and you be able to give them the answer and then think that you are a genius who knows everything and they're going to keep coming back to you versus you say, you're too young to understand that. We'll talk about that later. And then they go ask somebody at school. And it's just, it's the mindset that we have. You know, I was given advice early on. Talk to your kids about these things because if they get it like if they're mentally mature enough to get it they need to hear it from you and if they're not then it'll go over their head and it'll be you know you'll have another opportunity there but if you never don't talk go ahead yeah no it never harms our children to be honest and truthful with them (laughs) uh it doesn't and and i i'm excited jeffrey that you're teaching those things publicly um you know, my speech was on, you know, how do we, you know, the taboos that are in our world. And and Ian, in his speech, he and I talked beforehand, he's like, we need to get over the taboos. And, and some of these topics that we have labeled as taboos shouldn't be taboos. We shouldn't feel uncomfortable talking about sexual relationships. God created sex um, and he created it as something for man in a marriage relationship can actually honor God. And that is that is a beautiful picture that. We need to hear from our pulpits. Our children need to hear and understand so that they don't buy into this distorted view of sexuality, that it's evil and promiscuous and all these things where they're scared to death of it, or they go the other way and just accept any manner of it. They have to be taught and trained, and and that training happens early. Um, the statistics show, you know, the what age is the average age that a young boy is ex- exposed to pornography? 
Yeah, nine years old. Uh, you know, it used to be 11. And now recent studies are at nine years old. Kids are being, that's the average. And, you know, with the access and technology and uh, just, you don't even have to go looking for it, unfortunately. And it will find you on yep. social media and these devices. And parents got to be aware of that. And again, that training from birth to seven years old, and that's something I covered in the speech, was kind of the stages of development of as a parent. A lot of their personality and things are are formulated in those first seven years of development. And, and there's a lot a child can learn in seven years. Uh, and there's a lot they can learn early on. They can learn what no means. <laughs> and, and we need to be thankful that we have a God that tells us no. Um, you know, people think about God just wanting to say yes to everything that we want. The only kind of father that says yes to their children all the time is an unloving and selfish father. Yep. And, and God, he's willing to tell us no. Therefore, we ought to be willing to tell our kids no. We Those hard conversations, if you start early, then when they're 15, 16, what people always fear about having those conversations, that's not even there because you've taken down the wall. There's nothing that your kids can't come talk to you about. And, and I think that's so important as parents, preparing our children to engage in this world is if they have a question, if they have a concern, if they have something that they're dealing with, I don't want them going to a counselor at school. I don't want them going to their teacher. I don't want them going to their coach. I want them coming to me. I'm their dad. And and then maybe I want to take them to an elder in the church or an evangelist or, or someone with experience dealing with these issues from a scriptural point of view to help. Um, but moms and dads need to equip themselves to have those conversations. So Chase, you had kind of a four under your approaches, the last and most positive one that you talked about, uh, the isolate, appease, antagonize. And then the last one was prepare. And you mentioned the birth to seven. So you had um, birth to seven, seven to 14, 15 to 21. And I think, uh, the birth to seven was cementing their identity in God, learning to say no, what you just talked about. Uh, talk to us about the the seven to 14 training phase. Um, and then you also gave an expectation, right? I think the expectation in the birth to seven was obedience. Um, and then you also had expectations for seven to 14, which was integrity. Uh, so talk to us a little about the next phase. Once we've got this child, we've learned them to uh, hear and understand no and taught them to obey. Talk to us about the training bit. Yeah. And in that birth to seven two, one of the most important things is they already know who their creator is. Yeah. And that's God. So early on in their life, you're telling that child, Hey, God loves you. God created you a, a marvelous creation. He knew you and you were in your mom's womb. He, he loves you more than anybody. So they hear that. Well, then you get to that next phase and you're more focused on turning that heart that's now gaining knowledge, gaining some independence and turning that to that creator. Mm -hmm. They already know the creator. They already know that they were made. So they have a concept of God. Now it's training through scripture, training through memorization, training through understanding the word of God that we train the child. We turn the heart to God. And, and that is so valuable. And that's why the expectation during that time is integrity. Mm -hmm. 
is because they're going to now have opportunities in that seven to 14 years to exercise what it is they're being taught. And mom and dad aren't always going to be there. So when we think about integrity, I hear that definition a lot of times is, well, doing the right thing, even when no one's watching. We have a different definition of integrity in our home. It's do the right thing always. (laughs) When people are watching, when people aren't watching, that that's integrity and and they're gonna fail at that so as parents guess what be prepared um to teach them to model repentance and seeking forgiveness and that's where they start to kind of understand sin really is during that seven to 14 because until then they really don't know good and evil um yeah they know right and wrong but they don't know the consequence of good and evil yeah and you know that that may be a different discussion for another time, but we're we're getting that child where we're trying to promote and we're embracing questions because seven to fourteen is a very inquisitive stage. Yeah. So as yeah. they're in, engaging with this world now for the first time, they're going to have questions. Embrace it, and and even prompt it. You need to be asking questions um, to get information. And, and I find then, it, it's um, helpful to to say instead of saying, "Do you have any questions?" Because a lot of times the answer we know. Instead, say, "What questions do you have?" And I feel like yeah. that you get a lot better response with a more open ended. Because um, do you have any questions? Is a yes no. You get better feedback when it's open ended. And so, Christopher, I'll one up you on that one and say, "Ask me three. Ask me three questions." <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, whenever okay. you tell Why them, are you right? the way that you are? No, you go. Yeah. no, I mean, but I've had success in doing that is, you know, That's instead good. of, instead of opening you know, basically you set the expectation and say, I want you to ask me these three questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it generally, they respond pretty well to that. Yeah. And that integrity bit is, uh, it's so rewarding. One of my son's uh, that falls within the seven to 14 age range was at a, an event. Our church attends uh, lights on Stillwater, which is a community, you know, outreach fair businesses and clubs and churches go and they have a booth and they were helping with the booth. And there's times when I let them go and visit other booths and get swag and all that good stuff. And they, they love doing that. And one of the booths had something that was really, I think it was maybe one of those deals where a little claw comes down and they get, and they can try to get a, a prize out of there. Man, kids love those things. And Jacob came back and he told me, he was a dad. He said, I saw one of those booths where you can get the claw thing and try to win a prize. And then he said, but you know, on, on the table where that thing was, were all the rainbow flags and stuff. And I didn't want to go over there. <laughs> and and it's not that my child was being homophobic, but even as young as he is, he understands the meaning behind all of that. And he knew that he didn't want to be associated with and support that that cause because he understood that it's not in line with our biblical worldview. And that was a pretty satisfying moment because what it signals is when a child has integrity and obedience it signals trust that they trust you, even when you're not there, just like our obedience and integrity before God signals that we trust him. Right. So that was a pretty rewarding moment. Yeah. I I mean, those are the moments as parents we kind of live for because, <laughs> because you're actually seeing the fruit of that consistency. 
And, and that's of all the things we work with parents on is just at every stage, be consistent. And, and when you mess up as a parent, guess what you need to do? You need to apologize to your child <laughs> and you need to ask them to forgive you. And you need to model that repentance for them and not be so prideful that they grow up thinking mom and dad are perfect. I, I want my kids to know, hey, mom and dad are flawed. They're flawed human beings. Um, but when they do mess up, they do apologize and they repent and they seek forgiveness and restoration because that's reality. Mm-hmm. And, and as much as we love our kids and we see the good they do, we also know their heart is is going to lead them down the wrong path some points. And we can do and, that, Chase, when when we know that our authority as parents does not rest in our sterling reputation. Because if it did, we'd all be in trouble. But we've all probably had times in our life, maybe had parents or seen parents who their authority rested in their their sterling example or the parents thereof. But when we let our kids understand that our authority as parents doesn't rest on our perfection, but on God's authority, it's a lot easier to be secure enough to say, I messed up. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I want them to trust me, but ultimately I want them to trust God. Amen. Because God is the perfect parent, <laughs> you know, and, and he's always going to be there and his word is always going to be right. And and I think that's why Proverbs 22 and 6, we use that passage, train up a child in the way he should go. Um, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's just that idea of training. And to me, the 7 to 14 is the training ground. If you wait till 15 to start training, you're it's too late. Yeah. Because a lot of that child's heart and where it's guided and directed to. Now it can change, but it's going to come with a lot more heartache. And if you'll win the battles of obedience early on, you'll you'll train them to those 14 years. Then you get into that last phase, which you're more of a, a guide. And it's just a reminder of the things that they've been trained in. They already know this. And now it's for time for them to exercise that even even their biblical knowledge, it gets out of just quoting scripture and into actual application mm-hmm. um, to where they're logically using reasoning um, to come to an understanding of concepts that, you know, and and I shared this one during that lesson, my, you know, Josiah, um, you know, he's 16 now. And this was about a year ago. We were having a conversation and talking about, you know, how um, our culture is is pushed back so hard on the word uh, patriarchy that that is a bad word, you know, and, and I know you guys have done a number of, of podcasts on biblical masculinity and I appreciated those so much. And we've listened to those and those are very helpful, but our culture is so against that word that they take even a stance on scripture that, well, his head, Adam's headship was a consequence of the fall. And, you know, well, and then they try to say, and everything in Christ, all those consequences of the fall have been taken away. And and I'm telling you, these are evangelical groups that are teaching this doctrine. And it was, you know, in my and then my 15-year-old says, Mom, did it still hurt to have a baby? And I was I looked at him like, what he he said, Well, if if Adam's consequence was taken away when Christ came and died and was resurrected, then wouldn't the consequence of, of Eve and the woman, wouldn't that have been taken away too? And I was like, there's not a verse in the Bible that states that, but he's making connections logically. 
And because he has knowledge in the scriptures, he's reasoning through and and maybe to some degree sarcastically, um, you know, asking that question. But I, to me, that's where we want to get our children. I don't want them to be robots to just walk around quoting the Bible. Right. Because if, if that's what they are, they're not prepared to engage with this world. Yeah, it's those skills of critical thinking that unfortunately, and I may get in trouble for saying this, I feel like our society is is tried to steal that critical thinking ability from our children and just say, you need, the way that we structure our education system, you need to memorize these things and be able to regurgitate these things rather than critically thinking through and problem solving. People who think critically are hard to control. And they're hard to brainwash. And uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that all public schools are trying to mind control and brainwash kids. That's not what I'm saying. But our culture, uh, there's a reason they call what comes on the TV a program, right? We know that there is that the devil has launched a, a massive misinformation campaign using every media outlet possible and available. Every every screen or page the devil can subvert to lie to people. He will. And people who don't know how to think critically will be deceived. And so we have to get our kids this base level of mental resourcefulness to solve problems they haven't solved. It's kind of like, you know, teaching my son Jacob to be an outdoorsman. There are problems I teach him how to solve. And I, it's my desire that if I teach him to solve enough problems here, that even if he gets out in the woods where I'm not with him and he has a problem to solve, he'll have enough resourcefulness to figure it out, right? Uh, and that's what I like what you said, Jason, that 15 to 21, whereas previously we had integrity, and the, that was the expectation. The expectation in the 15 to 21 was independence because we're training them to do something and the training ought to lend toward independence and leaving, right? Absolutely. Um Proverbs 127, um, talking about those arrows in, in the hand of a mighty warrior, the, his quiver's full. Arrow doesn't do any good unless you shoot it. And, you know, our our goal as parents is I want, I want my young, my boys to grow up and be men who are independent and leaders in their home, strong leaders. And they go out and, you know, some of this seems old fashioned, but they they lead the way they, they blaze a trail for their sons to follow after. And, and they do it better than I did. And um, that's my hope and my prayer. Amen. And I, we see families that struggle with this dynamic of letting go. And, and there's no doubt in a couple of years when Josiah graduates and then Ezra graduates that our home dynamic is going to be different. And, you know, big brothers are going to be off at college and, and little sisters going to have to deal with that. And, and little brothers going to have to deal with that, which I don't think he's as concerned because um, he'll have a room all by himself. But, um, you know, we have to deal with that change in dynamic. And, and yeah, it's going to change the tenor of our home to some degree. But Elizabeth and I will reflect on that and say, we did what we were supposed to do. And, you know, and I think a lot of the difficulty with boundaries and, and you talk about in-laws eventually and marriages and creating your own home is, Josiah, if you get married and it comes a holiday time, guess what? Do what you need to do for your home. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. You're invited. We want you to be here. But if you have something else that you need to go do, 
hey, God bless you. It's your home. It's not mine. You know, and and that's why I think that 15 to 21 is that process of of starting to let the leash out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like and I don't I don't like comparing training children to training animals, <laughs> but there is that aspect of you're letting that leash out a little longer as they gain more independence and you're letting them exercise more of that and you're trusting them more and they're building more trust. And in that they're building more confidence. And I think our kids, we see a a culture where our kids are just so wrought with anxiety and a lack of preparation. I mean, and I'm talking about culturally. I mean, we see the, the issues with mental illness among young people. I'm like, why is a 15 year old so stressed out about life? Like, dude, you're 15, but they've not seen it modeled effectively and they haven't had parents engaged and they're raising themselves on a screen and all of a sudden they're not getting the feedback that they want and they don't know their place. And a healthy child, 15 to 21, they're building that independence. They understand natural consequences to behaviors um, and they're practicing in real life situations. And sometimes those real life situations aren't pleasant. And sometimes they come with a lot of challenges. And sometimes you're going to lose a debate with a friend that that may be an atheist. And they may, you know, you may feel like you then guess what? You need to get back in the woodshed and work harder. And but that experience is going to be so valuable uh, because you're going to be better prepared next time uh, to have a conversation and. And I think that's why I think that section of my speech, I really focus on the idea of purposeful parenting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and understanding there are milestones you want to try to have along the way that you're starting to see these things in your children so that they're uh, making it to that independent stage. Let's take a sidebar because you mentioned milestones, you know, in, in our, in, in our culture, I think we have a problem that we don't have enough very specific and meaningful rites of passage that allow young people to go through a process and then they are affirmed that you have done this thing, you have arrived. I mean, we have a lot of them like in eighth grade graduation is one. Um, Another one is high school graduation, getting your driver's license, uh, graduating college. If you choose that, getting married, having a child, these are all rites of passage that let people know that they have done the thing, right? They've notched their stick. Um, what are some, what are some important rites of passage that you've seen uh, in your experience? Because you know we have a way that we do that in our house. Um, our kids are part of an organization called Trail Life USA, which is a which is a Christ centered scouting organization that's been a, a blessing to ours. And um, our eldest son just went through a pretty important rite of passage as he moved up to the next kind of tier um and that came along with some adversity and some challenge but also with some accomplishment a little straighter back a little broader shoulders afterward and it's been pretty rewarding to see that so what are some important rites of passage that you've seen chase that help kids get these experiences that boost their confidence to take bigger risks and new challenges um so i'm going to i'm going to share a couple of different um aspects one is my own home uh, with and you know we have a 16 year old a 15 year old and 11 year old and mm-hmm. at 10 years old um, all of my boys got their first bow a, a compound bow cool and you know so 
and I know that seems like a little thing, but what that represents is you have something that you can utilize to go out and harvest something that God is providing for you um, that can sustain life. And, and you need to respect it because it's a weapon, you know, and, and we teach them the responsibility of how to shoot that, uh, you know, and, and so it's more about that time together training and teaching them that, but then they get their own at 10 mm-hmm. um, to where it's theirs. And, you know, they can go out and they can shoot and they can practice. And um, at 13, we kind of have a little ceremony um, in our, our home at that 13th where we present them with a, um, a coat of arms that Elizabeth and I designed for our home that kind of have our core values. And, you know, we just have that kind of etched out on paper and framed. And, and that's something we present to them. And, And then also we take that another step and talk with their uncles and their grandfathers about, Hey, you're part of the the men now. You're you're not a boy. And so at Thanksgiving, when we're out frying shrimp in South Texas, you're out there with the men. You know, you're not inside playing video games. You're not inside hanging out in the kitchen eating snacks. You're out there with us, and, and we're and you're part of the conversation. And you know, we create opportunities where those those men can have more of an impact in that tribal aspect that they feel that confidence, like you're talking about with the scout programs and, you know, any of those things are healthy and, and, and wonderful. Um, and then it's, it's a rifle, you know, at, at 16. And then it's, you know, so, so we do some of those things in our home that I think have been very helpful. Um, I will tell you with our kids at Sunny Glen, um, we get them a Bible with their name on it. I. <laughs> uh, can't tell you how many Bibles my kids in my house have with their names on it. But when a kid comes to Sunny Glen, we get them settled. And one of the first things we do, we take them to the Bible bookstore. Hey, pick out a Bible, you know, whatever Bible you want. And the the lady there gets their name and she puts their name on it. And we present that to them. And I mean, you ought to see the pride and every Bible study. They're walking in, carrying their Bible with their name on it. And, you know, it's it's a rite of passage and it's, it's just showing them the value they have. So I encourage parents to be, um, be unique, be, you know, find what works for your home. Um, you know, what are things that you value as a family that you want to pass down to that next generation, um, in the Hispanic culture down here in the Valley, the Quinceanera at 15. I think that's a wonderful tradition. I mean, that is that huge and it's, you know, it can get out of hand <laughs> with the amount of money that families might spend on it, but it's just a recognition that this young lady's becoming a woman. And, you know, and then it becomes an excuse for the adults to party. So maybe not that aspect of it, but but that recognition and that tradition, all those things I think are valuable. And and I think we see that throughout the scriptures. Yeah. Um, you know, you have examples of those rites of passage. Um, and, and even within culture. So I think we shouldn't be so afraid to embrace those ideas. You know, Chase, I have struggled and I have three girls and I think like a man. And so like, I think a lot in terms of these milestone moments that I've experienced. And, um, I have been thinking through this subject as well. Like, what can I do for my daughters? 
to to go through this and kind of help them build that that resiliency and that self-esteem in a way that helps them start making that transition to womanhood. Do you have any ideas for girls? I know that you have a little girl as well. And so talk to me about that. Yeah. Elizabeth handles all that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think it, it also goes back to just that idea of involving them in things that you want to guide them um to have a love for fulfilling their role, uh, you know, as a daughter of God. So uh, one of the things we've done with Joy is, you know, she has her own set of baking um, utensils and pans. And and when when Elizabeth gets in there to cook or bake something, man, she's right there with her. And she has her own apron and she has her own, you know, utensils and, and is right there next to mom doing those things. Um, but she's also out with me mowing the grass you know, and, and she's running a blower, blowing off the sidewalks and, and helping around the house, whatever, you know, we're doing together. Um, so, you know, we haven't hit a real milestone with her yet. I think 10 will be the first one. Um, and it, 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 and what gets me is I bought her little trinkets and little things of jewelry with maybe scripture on it. And, you know, and she hates jewelry. So I don't, I don't know what, what I'm going to do for sure. Um, she probably wants a bow to be honest with you. So she and be like her big brothers. So, I mean, that's the thing is my daughters, like I took one of them hunting for the first time last year and that's all she can talk about right now. And now my middle daughter is convinced that she needs to go as well. And I'm like, you're going to have to wait one more year. You know, you're not going to get to go yet. And so like, I've got some of those, I'm similar to you and that I've got some of those. And, um, my daughters sound like a little bit different than yours. They they do love jewelry. Um, they love fancy and shiny things, especially my oldest. So maybe that's a good idea that around 10 years old is um, finding something, you know, that's special and not costume jewelry. Yeah, and um, or maybe a book um, uh, that identifies her value as a daughter um even maybe writing writing something you know and that's something i've I, I have done is i've written things to my daughter that i've not given to her yet that you know she's seven right now but there's things notes i've written to her or, or journal entries that i have that i plan to give to her you know when she's 13 when she's 16 um and then when she gets married you know that hey i want her to know how much um she meant to me as a father um to to have her and um what she meant to our home and and there's a couple of books that elizabeth and i've read that have really helped us um in some of that training of children and and i know i I try to be careful of recommending things because they'll find something in the book but um there's one um training a modern raising a modern day knight um, is a really good book for raising and training boys. Um, and the other one is raising a modern day princess. And, and that's something having three older brothers that Elizabeth, and I have really been kind of focused like, she's got to be a young lady. I mean, we, and I tell Elizabeth, like, you've got to teach her to be a young lady. And she's like, well, y'all aren't helping because <laughs> she's got a dad and three older brothers that are men and have a great influence. But, um, you know, it, 
promoting, you know, the, the things that we want to turn that heart to. And I, I'm sorry. I, I want her to know God wants her to be a wife and a mother. And that is highly valued and honorable in the sight of God, no matter what our culture says about it. And if my daughter grows up and and somebody says, what do you want to be? And she says, I want to be a wife and a mom. I'm going to say amen. And, and I believe it's shameful for people to say, well, but what else? Uh, and I've heard that. I've heard people in the church tell our young ladies that I want to be a wife and a mother. And they say, well, but what else? And I'm like, that's the mindset that's wrong. We That's the problem is we have accepted our culture's definition of what a woman should be instead of looking at, you know, a woman of a, a meek and a quiet spirit is of great value to God. And one who runs their household well, who, and we look at that virtuous woman, yeah, working outside the home, that that's fine. But that doesn't bring the intrinsic definition of who she is as a woman. And, and the things of God define that. So let's promote that. And my daughter carries around a baby like it's hers. Guess what? I, I encourage that, you know, I because that's I know that's going to bring honor to God eventually. And uh, Jeffrey, I know I, I promise this is not just a total plug for uh, Trail Life USA, but there's there's a an organization that's the sister organization called the American Heritage Girls. And they promote biblical feminine virtues and values that that help women kind of codify that and, and learn what that means. I don't have any daughters, uh, but I do lead a wife and I have a lot of sisters. And I think, Jeffrey, anything that you can do to teach your girls feminine self-worth, understanding that they are valuable because of who they are and not what they can do, will set them up to receive actual love and actual devotion from a man who may become their husband because they've, they've recognized devotion from you. And if we can train a woman to have feminine self-worth and to understand when a man is devoted to her truly or not, then a guy comes sniffing around, she'll be able to tell he is not devoted to me at all. Like dad is, he doesn't stand a chance. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one thing, anything you can do to teach them that is incredibly important. Love, love their mother. That's amen that they're going to see that. And and that's what they're going to normal. That's going to be normal to them. So the way you love your, your wife is what your daughters are going to grow up expecting from their husband. So. And daddy daughter dates are pretty cool. So, you know, enjoy that time together as much as possible. Well, Chase, we know that, that the time is always limited in the speaking engagements at the area-wide meeting. Was there anything that you just really wanted to get to, but you just didn't have the time to discuss with the audience? Yeah. In that section on engaging the world, mm -hmm. you know, we, we take this combative stance and we almost kind of put ourselves on this bully pulpit that we're morally righteous and perfect and everything and the world is just evil and wrong and one of the things i actually had in my notes and i just did not get the chance to bring it out was i believe some of the sexual immorality um, that we observe in our culture lies at the feet of christians who devalue marriage and when we don't hold 
a reverent stance toward the holy union of marriage, and we see no cause divorce, and we see just irreconcilable differences, and we see lives just drifting apart, and we fall in and out of love, and we accept that as the kingdom of God, then what what would we expect from the world? Uh, so I think that's that's humbling to me um, so that I can actually talk to someone in the world and say, hey, I think we have contributed to this problem. And, and, and just an honest conversation. And I think, I think that's where we actually would gain some, have some integrity. And, you know, there are people in the world who just don't know God, who still, I believe in their hearts, strive to have integrity, who, who strive to, to be good morally. And, um, and if we just exalt ourselves as the moral standard ourselves, and we don't acknowledge these are ways we have failed, we're never going to have that ability to have a conversation. So that was one thing that I really, I, I wish I would have kind of developed out and, and been able to say. Um, and then the other one was uh, toward the end of my speech um, was emphasizing the idea that we're not conformed to the world but the church has to be open to the world coming into it. And I know that sounds odd, um, but when I became a Christian, I was longing for something I didn't even know what it was. And I didn't even know it existed until I was in it. And once I saw it, there was such a fulfillment that it hit me that this is what I've needed for years. <laughs> and, and I couldn't figure out a way to fulfill that need. And I think there are so many people in our world that are just longing for something to bring fulfillment into their life. And, and there's grasping at it and we have it, but we can't just tell them we have it they have to sometimes come experience for themselves what that is. And, and that's very easy for us to lose sight of that. And one of the things I, I try to say a lot of times is everyone has a place in the family of God. Everyone matters. And, and that's different than our world. Our world says you only count if you're this or you're that, and you have to stay in this one little group and, it's in the kingdom of God. We see the greatest diversity that there is. And I think we have to do a better job of promoting that, which means I have to be open to welcoming those people in and saying, come in among us, come see what we are, come see who we are, come be a part with us. And yeah, then there's conformity, but it's not conforming to my standards. It's conforming to the will of God. And there may be some uniqueness in what that looks like from person to person. And there may be people who are equipped to deal with some situations and some people who are not well equipped. Right. But that's why, you know, I can walk really well on my feet, but not my hands. Right. And so I think we've got to get the right part of the body engaged with the other parts of the body to do the work. 
Yeah. And that's why first Corinthians five, um, 12 and 13, uh, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? And it says, is not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside purge the evil person from among you. I, I think there's a lot of instruction for us as the church there that, Hey, we're to hold each other accountable to this standard of holiness. Quit trying to hold the world to that. The world's not going to live up to that. And if they don't feel like they have a place that they're welcome to come to see and observe God, then then we're not being the people we need to be. And and I'm just saying there are taboos and things that, you know, we're getting over. Um, But I baptized a young man last night I've studied with. He's got two earring, earrings in each ear. I don't, to me, that's not a big deal. But I guarantee you to some brethren, that's that's a concern. And I'm like, that's so far off of my radar. That's so far out. I mean, you know, it, that doesn't matter, uh, you know, and and that's one little thing, much less we're talking about, you know, pregnant moms. We're talking about those who may have, are, and maybe you're actively practicing homosexuality that, hey, how are we going to reach them if they don't feel like they can come in among us and talk and find a refuge and find answers and find solutions. And, and I don't mean we soften our stance against morality, but I'm also going to seek an opportunity to engage with that person because is homosexuality any worse of a sin than lying or stealing or fornication with a heterosexual couple? I, but all of those things create stigmas that we have to overcome if we're going to have an opportunity um, to, to show them, to show them Christ. And that has to be our priority. And and I think that's important to teach our children. <laughs> Don't just be judgmental and hateful. Yeah. And I've heard it, you know, we'll hate the sin, love the person that that's easy to say, but anytime you use the word hate, a lot of times that gets shifted toward the person. And, and we'll, you have to love them enough to share with them the truth of God's word, but give them ability and space to understand and accept and grow and submit to God on their own. So to several, I mean, I guess encompassing both the things you've said, Paul said in second Corinthians four, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. And, you know, it's easy for us to get caught up in the wash of the world, trying to put a label on everybody. And this is something I've talked about in several episodes, but I think it's, it's pertinent to, especially for those of us that are older and that have the opportunity to vote. We get caught up in this news cycle turn and the voting and, 
<clears throat> wanting to keep morality in our nation or rather the nation in which we live. And we end up promoting ourselves. And, and, and that's really what we're doing when we hold some people as untouchable or repulsive. We're, we're saying, I'm too good to have to deal with you. And the ministry of the gospel doesn't do that. Paul says we, we hold ourselves accountable to everyone's conscience before God. This glory of the gospel living in us, the life that we're living is not about us. And how good we are is not about us. It's it's about what Christ has done. And we raise that standard. And it's funny, when I, I wrote that on the screen just a second ago, it occurred to me that that has more than one meaning. When I originally wrote it, it was we raised the standard within ourselves. And I love what you talked about. And this is something I've wanted to talk about in several of the episodes. We have got to be where accountability exists in the world because we are where the world finds God. We are his temple. And if accountability doesn't exist with us, it doesn't exist in the world. But raise that standard is also goes back to what you talked about with knights and the standard of the king. And that needs to be plainly visible with us also. And we do that by holding ourselves accountable and, and opening ourselves to the world and saying, this is where we are. We want you to be a part of this and then demonstrating to them why they should want to be a part of this, which is another thing you've talked about bringing these kids in and giving them, showing them a place where God's love is the motivation for life and everything that you do. And, and if we extrapolate on that thought process, yeah, it can be uncomfortable to, to bring someone in that has been convicted of murder to be, bring someone in that has been living a lifestyle in, in uh, homosexuality, but Christ left room for these people to come to him. And, and we have to leave that same room of repentance. We cannot veil the gospel from them if we truly understand that their eternal soul is on the line for it. And our, our hypocrisy is what uh, damages those opportunities. And, and I think that's what, you know, that was the Pharisees issue was you want to have this moral brightness, but inwardly you're 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 worse because you're trying to portray this idea that you are the standard and and inside you're rotten and and i have to go back to christ and his mission going to lepers who had to walk around and anytime they got within so many feet of someone else they had to cry out unclean unclean about themselves that was their identity and, and jesus went and embraced these people that everyone else deemed as outcast and deemed as, you know, unclean. And there's a lot of implications to the use of that word unclean. Um, and it was very specific of why they had to use that word. And, and Jesus went to those people. And that's why I don't want my children afraid to engage with someone who's practicing homosexuality. Now I'm also not going to put them in front of them for those people to be an influence on my children. But I also don't want them to be petrified of the reality that there are people practicing that in our culture. And I believe in the in the power of the word of God can change their hearts. And, and we have to figure out a way to give them opportunity. And at the end of the day, place our trust in God. John 16 and 33 is so vital. Um, when we talk about our place in this world, and Jesus said, I said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What is he talking about there when he says, I've overcome the world? You ever think about that? What What is it that he's really saying there? That's a good question, Chase. And the way I look at it is it's similar to what the way John describes, you know, don't love this, don't love the world, you know, and that's the the mindsets, the the agendas, the the ideas, the the things that are uh, promoted in this world. Hey, and ultimately he's talking to them because they're going to be persecuted. They're going to they're going to face tribulation They're They were going to give their life. And he's saying, guess what? Take heart, <laughs> be courageous because I've overcome the world. Anything this world wanted to do to me and Satan thought he won, I've overcome that. And he was going to overcome it by his resurrection. And when he did that, we won. <laughs> and I think that's important for us. That way we can have that idea of unconformed and unashamed. I'm not, I don't, I don't conform to the world and I'm not ashamed of Christ. Because at the end of life, all I care about is what does he think? But I look at the example he left, and as Jared said, he left room for everyone. Knowing not everyone would come to him, knowing there would be those that rejected him, but he left room for them. And who am I not to do the same thing? Well, Chase, I know that that um, I was blessed to be able to to hear your whole talk that Sunday morning. And I really appreciate that you took some time to discuss some of the finer points and, and get some additional stuff in there for us. Thank you for your work in God's kingdom. Thank you for your work with young people to turn their hearts to their creators so that they might have hope. And um, we just, we know it's a big investment of time. So we really appreciate that. Um, hey, we I, I appreciate you guys. And, and as I said at the beginning, what y'all are doing is is great. Um, uh, the content, getting it out there, just anything we can do to get more of people listening um, and considering the word of God, it's going to be profitable. Um, and, and let's have some real conversations <laughs> uh, and be prepared to engage with the world. So I think y'all are doing a great job of, of promoting that. So I appreciate y'all's work as well. Thanks, brother. So, you know, you're talking about our, our work on this. We are we're creeping up on episode 100. And our desire for episode 100 is to have some question and response from our listeners. So uh, what we would like folks to do is to send us questions. If there's a question that you have for the Brother Cousins or a topic you would like to, us to give a take on, we would love it if you would send us an email at brother.cousins at outlook.com and send us your best shot. Well, we hope we have more than we can cover, uh, but we'll cover the ones that we can. Um, Chase, anything else before we wrap? Um, want to promote one thing um, that's going to happen in February of 2024. Um, a few years, a couple of years back, uh, we started a marriage and family enrichment seminar um, my wife, Elizabeth, and I, and then um, her parents, Ty and Lisa Fleming, um, wanted to create a just a workshop model um, kind of retreat uh, for couples and families to participate in. And this will be our third annual. And um, it's called Becoming One. 
And this year we're going to focus on training children and maintaining a strong marriage, even while parenting and training those children, um, as that can be a great challenge. So um, it is the title is Training by Faith, Teaching to Follow, Inspiring to Lead. And that will be held February 22nd through the 25th, 2024 at Mount Lebanon Camp in Cedar Hill, Texas. Um, all the details um, you can find Becoming One on Facebook. There's a Facebook page for them. Um, there's also a website. Um, and if anybody has any questions or wants more specific information, they can reach out to me directly. I'll be happy to visit with them about it. Um, but we, we've enjoyed the last two years that we've been able to do it. We're learning a lot doing it. Um, and just want to create opportunities for young families in the kingdom, um, to, to come together, fellowship, share ideas. Uh, like I said, we have learned a lot and it's been really a blessing to our family and our home. So, uh, we want to share that, um, with anyone that's interested. Um, and it'll be, you know, two and a half days of full, you know, presentations, question and answer retreat, uh, fellowship, activities, the wedding game, everything we can possibly do in that time uh, together to promote families and, and our growth in the kingdom. Uh, so hopefully people can come join us for that. I have been to that every year, and I will say it is, number one, very enjoyable, number two, extremely beneficial. And, you know, we've talked to several people in our peer group and our congregation and said, you know, you really need to make an effort to be there. So I would also highly encourage that. To be honest, I'm not quite sure why everyone is free. Somebody's background yeah, noise background is really noise. bad. Troubling how. Thanks, Jared. I can't hear it now. That's because of. Okay, can you hear me talking now? Yep. That's crazy. My mic was muted the whole time, so I don't know what it was. That's odd. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'll do a five count. We'll come back in. Because, Chase, I'm going to ask you if you can give the – if you have a web address and you said reach out to me and if you want to give your email address here. You okay. said reach yeah, out to absolutely. me directly. Okay, so I'll, 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 I'll uh, prompt you for that, and then we'll – Wrap and pray. Okay, uh, Chase, where can our listeners go to get more information about the Becoming One uh, Marriage Enrichment Seminar? Uh, they can go to uh, becomingonecoc.org um, or they can email me directly at chase at sunnyglen.org. Um, and, and if they have questions about Sunny Glen, that's a, a good way to reach me as well. Um, but I can um, respond and answer questions to, to anything that they need about Becoming One or uh, Sunny Glen Children's Home. Um, we also have the area-wide meeting in 2024 that we will be hosting in Harlingen, Texas, and it is not that far. Um, and we've been telling our congregation that because uh, there's a lot of logistical planning that goes into hosting one of those, and uh, we remind them every time it's not far. But uh, in all honesty, it may be far for you to come, but I promise it'll be beneficial to you um, if you can plan to join us. Uh, we have all the the hotel rooms blocked, and uh, there are rooms available still at this point. 
Uh, we'll have another backup hotel that we'll be able to do overflow with. Uh, we hope we have to utilize, but uh, the dates on that are July 26th through the 28th, 2024. And the theme is disciples making disciples. So uh, really excited about that topic. And uh, we'll be sharing more detail on speakers and topics and those kind of things in the coming weeks through our social media uh, with the North 7th Street Church of Christ. So uh, look us up, follow us, and uh, stay up to date with all those things. And uh, we look forward to seeing everybody in, in July of next year. Sounds great. Um, well, Chase, thanks again for all your uh, your time and, and your sharing your insights with us. As our custom is, we always like to close with a prayer. Would you like to go ahead and pray us out, bro? Absolutely. All right, let's pray. Thank you for every gift and blessing. And Father, we know that you are a perfect God. Uh, you have created us in your image. And Father, you have given us a Savior. And Father, we're thankful that Christ was willing to be that perfect lamb, uh, the sacrifice that was sufficient to take away the sins of the world. And Father, we acknowledge your infinite power, but we also acknowledge uh, the intensity that you have to be personal with us. And uh, we're thankful that Christ bridges that gap, uh, shows us your love and mercy, shows us a pattern of living that we can follow and Father, though we fall short in sin, uh, that you are a loving Father who forgives. And Father, we pray that we would take the charge to be ambassadors for you in this world seriously, and that we would study to know your will uh, so that we might be able to present that to a world that is in need of, of compassion, in need of love, uh, Father, in need of discipline, in need of understanding and knowledge and wisdom concerning you. And we pray that we would be vessels uh, to share those things with this world and that we might bring glory and honor to your name. Father, thank you for our homes, our families. Strengthen us. Help us to be leaders. Help us to uh, train and teach our children to be prepared to engage with this world, not to be afraid of it, uh, but Father, to have confidence in you and and go out and have an impact. And uh, we, we look forward to the day, uh, Father, when you call us home, and we look forward to the return of Christ uh, where we will be uh, in eternity and in peace and comfort forever with you. Uh, Father, but until that day, help us to work, labor, and serve to the best of our ability. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you again for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.